Hello, this is Double Issue. Hello, and oh. welcome to. Oh, sorry. What'd you I was going to say, I just wasn't sure if it was me or you, so either way. And drinking coffee and eating candy, so my voice is lovely. Golden and kind of rich. Sounds like I have a cold. You would have a cold, but you drank co- coffee. Oh, it's cold coffee. So you, oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Double Issue. I am your host, Quentin, and I am joined today by your host, Daniel. That's me. Today we have some late stories for you. Sorry, that's my bad. Yeah, it's our bad. We had a uh, episode we were going to put up instead of the stories on Monday, and that just fell apart. So <laughs> it was just not working. You'll get to hear whatever the best version of that was next week. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see what happens with any of that. (laughs) Today, uh, we're going to do stories that are a sequel. We randomly chose some stories to get sequels in whichever episode that was a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So I had the sequel to Tabula, no, Blank Slate, Daniel's story about Michonne hijacking the ship he was imprisoned on. And Daniel did a sequel to his first story, the first story ever heard on this podcast, Bison and Wisp. That's right. Our rooftop story. Yeah. Do we have anything to get into before the stories? Um... Um, I'm still working on My Hero Academia, so eventually we'll get a bonus episode out about that. Yeah. I finished season three, so I'm eagerly awaiting the next installment. This last week, the most exciting things I've done were play a lot of Overwatch and watch a season and a half of the new Fooly Cooly. Mm, was that because we talked about it? Yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> it was out already, so I've been watching a lot of it. Uh, I don't want to give you any spoilers, so I won't say anything about them. Okay, good. But, but. I just want to say... <laughs> I don't want to say anything about it, but... The but is more uh, structural about how FLCL is written in general. Rewatching it made me realize that I took a lot of cues from the original FLCO in what I think about how to write a story. Like, that was just a very foundational work for mm-hmm. my later writing. And I think that's why I sometimes forget important things. Because in FLCO, it's like, uh, this isn't an important, like, this, why there is robots isn't important. What's really important is these feelings these people are having. <laughs> and so watching the, the new seasons, I was like, oh, I should work on not being like that until i'm good at the writing i have a question do you yeah. call it flcl instead of fully coolly because you don't want to say the sound that it makes when you touch a breast <laughs> i think i just use it interchangeably does it sound classier instead of saying we should uh do a double issue twitch stream or youtube stream uh but play some overwatch together because that fits in oh, our yeah. superhero brand yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say about Overwatch. Is I really like how they do the characterization in such small little bits, little like bits through environmental things. Okay, yeah. Blizzard, we're coming after you. Little <laughs> bits, little bits sued us, and now we're suing you to pay Little Bits, the company, 
because we don't uh, have the money that they want. <laughs> we can't even buy their products, much less pay our legal fees. Yeah. They said that we owe them the amount of money it took for them to pay a brand agency to come up with the the name and logo for Little Bits. We didn't even infringe upon the logo, but there it is, a million dollars. So, Blizzard, you owe us a million dollars <laughs> for having Little Bits about your characters in Overwatch. Uh, Actually, Daniel, Daniel, let's just, in the legal documents, say that they owe us $2 million. We give $1 million to Little Bits. <laughs> then we still have a million dollars. This can't be used in court. Uh, plead the fifth, plead the fifth. Is that fraud? No, but I think we have to get married so we can't testify against one another. Oh, no, that's, that's a double Sorry, jeopardy. Kate. <laughs> they can't imprison a husband and wife for the same crime. Yeah. <laughs> I think your story's up front. We can get into my story. Okay. Anchor, or how to avoid an unexpected death in the depths of space. Neon lights flashing. The sense of accomplishment as a red block turns green. The adrenaline of a run almost complete cresting into that familiar feeling as those last few bits all click into place at once. Confusion. A black shadow obscuring the netscape. A blur of incomprehension. Fear. Pain. An arm falling. Blood gushing. Immense pain. A scream. Fading. Mordecai opened his eyes to find himself in a dark room covered in sweat. His snout dabbed sweat from his face as he sat up. She's gone, or she would be. He took a few deep breaths before he could stand. He knew what was coming. He knew he would need to work fast to get everything prepared for the flood. Mordecai waved a hand in front of the monitor in the corner and it came to life. The menu popped up some options and he tapped the one he needed. It sent his prepared message to an assortment of family and friends. Flood incoming headed to the temple. It wasn't much, but they would know what he meant. He got dressed and slung his prepared pack over his shoulder. He stepped outside of the room and shut the door without looking back inside. He pressed his snout into the hole next to the door. It depowered the unit and locked it up for his hopefully eventual return. The system behind the walls lifted his room away. Units actually being lived in were prioritized for ground access. Mordecai blinked back some tears. He wouldn't let his emotions take over before he got to the temple. It wasn't fair he had surrendered his life for someone he couldn't remember. All he knew right now was that she was dead and threatening his life. He kicked the wall where his door once was. Focus. Mordecai's original plan had been to sign up for a service that would take care of everything for him. But his mom talked him out of it eventually. With the service, they would be able to sense when the flood was starting. No ambiguity. They wouldn't intercept the flood. That was illegal. Even worse than the illegality were the societal implications if you let someone intercept for you. People didn't even like it when an interception was required to save an anchor's life. So a service wouldn't interrupt the flood, but they were able to detect it before the first memories hit. Mordecai left the facility and started walking down the trail. All trails, well most trails, eventually lead to a temple. But he had planned his route out well in advance and let his feet take over. His mom had argued he shouldn't be planning this much, but he knew it was different in her time. If he weren't using a service, he would at least be prepared. He was now kicking himself mentally for living so far away from a temple. Rooms closer to a temple cost more, but it would have been worth it for this eventuality. He didn't want to get lost in the wilderness like so many do when they forgo the help of a service. Even in the most populated places, you were never too far from the wilderness. A wave hit him. Rigby. 
That was her name. He had already seen her last thoughts, her last bits of vision. Now, he would begin to know more about her. Everything he read disagreed about when he would know who she was to him. Some said he didn't know until the end, at which point, it was too late. Pointless to know who they are to you when you no longer exist yourself. Well, some say you no longer exist. Some say you transcend into a new life form. But that wasn't true. The ones that said that were just deluded. Guilty that their life had erased the one before them. He was getting angry. He stomped as he walked, kicking up dust from the trail. He was about to enter a canyon, and it would be safer there. With the building so high on either side, it was harder to wander into the wilderness if he were hit with a big wave. Harder, but not impossible. Another flash. Rigby was a hacker. Of course she was a hacker. Weren't they all? All those ones that selfishly go to space? That's what all the crews need out of us tonks. That's what they're all recruiting for. With our network-infused world, what other roles would we fit into? Let me guess. She saw some vid as a kid, and she couldn't stop seeing the stars after that. Such a cliché story played out time and time again. The memories come backwards, so it would be a while before he got to find out about her childhood. Hopefully it wouldn't even get that far. Once he got to the temple, he could have her essence extracted into the pyre where it belonged. She was dead, and that's where the essence of the dead goes. Some people feel guilty sending people into the flames when you don't even really remember the person. But when you have a flood coming, there's only one survivor. It's one or the other, and Mordecai didn't intend to be the other. Another few waves hit as he walked, but nothing that caused him to stop. Not yet. As he left the building canyon, the sun was rising. It wasn't something you could always tell in a canyon. The buildings blocked out most of the sky, and the light they provided never betrayed the time of day. He never understood how anyone could live so high. Without immediate access to the ground, you run the risk of running out of nourishment. Sure, the buildings that high at all had systems to rotate the rooms and express lifts. Or in the case of extreme wealth, you could have a staff continually refresh the floor with still-infused ground. It would never be fresh ground. But it was the closest you could come to leaving the planet without an anchor. Even then, Mordecai thought the risk wasn't worth it. Mordecai didn't stop walking but he grabbed his pack and started shuffling through it. His snout sniffed through for what he was looking for and grabbed out an energy bar. This should keep him awake through the walk. He should be there shortly, he thought. Normally he could check the net to know the time and his location, but he couldn't get anything on the net with a flood coming. And if he tried anyway, well, that was a good way to get yourself into the wilderness. Mordecai always thought of the wilderness as a disconnected place. But in his research before the flood, some described it as being fully connected. So connected you weren't connected. A place of trails leading only to themselves and never to a temple. Separated from the holy, and the most holy experience one could have. The sages had to go to the wilderness to become sanctioned. It was a place of pure contradiction. Mordecai often thought about what it was actually like, but he never wanted to actually know. Mordecai watched his feet. One after the other they paced forward. Another wave. More space adventures. Adventures he would never have. It was such a selfish act going to space and condemning a walker. He wouldn't be able to say he didn't enjoy what he was remembering, though. The excitement of a shootout. The thrill of hacking into a ship and controlling it out from underneath another crew. He found himself laughing. Laughing to himself on the side of a trail. He shook his head and tried to clear the new memories out of it. He tried to stop smiling. But they were too happy. Even the bad ones. The extreme hunger after a botched job. 
The pain of being shot and going down. The panic of the air running low in a spacesuit. Mordecai stopped walking. He blinked. He was a foot away from the trail. The wilderness stared back at him, beckoning. He took his pack off and rifled through it again. He found himself another energy bar with the snout while he continued searching. He found a headband and put it on. He snapped some dangling pieces onto his neck and put his pack back on before heading back to the trail to continue. If he closed his eyes for too long, the headband would deliver a vibration. If he continued to keep his eyes closed, it would deliver a small electric shock to his neck. If he kept his eyes closed after that, well, it was best not to think about that. He kept walking, not knowing how long he had left. Either reaching the temple or succumbing to the flood. Two outcomes with unknown countdowns. He started to cry. He had been pretty good about keeping the emotion out before that last wave had made him happy. He had put up walls against the negative emotions, but the happiness had snuck past his defenses. And with the emotional wall cracked, the rest came pouring in. That empty part of him he was not allowed to remember was tingling. The section he had to partition off to contain her essence was back. He felt whole again and knew why some felt this was a transcendent experience. It was good to feel whole again. Tears streamed down his face as he felt all of his mind slot into place. He missed this. He would miss it again. In order to remain the person he was, he would have to give that up again. Also, Rigby could be a spacefaring tonk. He hadn't yet seen why she would condemn him to this. Why he would agree to be condemned. She wanted to have grand space adventures, so Mordecai offered up part of his mind as an anchor. Tonks were never supposed to leave the ground. The core nourishes the ground, and the ground nourishes the feet, and the feet nourish the body. That's the way of the lifeline. At least that was the way before anchoring. If your mind is nourished, your body follows. When it was first discovered, no one saw the point. If you put your mind in the network to be nourished, you wouldn't have your mind. So this could be used to transport your body away from the ground, but what good is a tonk body without a tonk mind to drive it? Then came schisming, separating your mind into pieces. This was a brute force tactic that has fallen out of favor. You never knew how much of your mind would end up in the right place. But if you had a willing partner and a strong emotional connection, they could accept part of your mind and transmit the nourishment to your body. Then you could have a full functioning mind and body away from the ground. It just came at the price of your anchor giving up part of their mind as well. A part walled off for the transmitting. A partition consisting of the memories of the one being anchored. So the traveler would leave and the anchor would forget them. Forget them until they died and returned with a flood. Mordecai's headband buzzed and he opened his eyes. His feet had left the trail again. He had to focus. He couldn't get off in his own head or he would end up wandering the wilderness. He blinked and he watched himself shrinking away, still on the land. Another view of another time he had forgotten. He watched the same scene from his point of view as she left. He blinked his eyes open and the buzzing stopped. He pushed further on the trail. He could see the temple. It wasn't long now. Soon. Mordecai, her voice said through his mouth. No, her mouth. He looked at himself. Yeah? Mordecai was looking away. Rigby could tell he was tearing up and didn't want to be seen. She took a deep breath. I'm scared, she said. Mordecai held both memories in his head. He felt her fear as if it were his own. He remembered the overwhelming sadness he had forgotten until now. The sadness so deep he couldn't look at her. Not for this moment. He should soak all of her in that he could, but he couldn't. 
Their legs dangled off the side of their seat, occasionally glancing off of one another. You can't be the scared one, Mordecai wiped at the end of his snout. He turned to meet her face and he could finally remember what it looked like. Her rough brown skin, her lean snout wrinkling in just the right places, her large eyes the color of the sun's. His heart ached for her. Every trail in his body an extension of the heart and all of them missed her already. The headband buzzed and he ripped it from his head. The clips on his neck pulled, threatening to take him out of his memory, but he continued to pull and they came free. So did he. The way her snout curled up as she was about to talk, and the way the end glistened in starlight, he watched his own face turn towards her and knew her feelings about himself, how she thought about his eyebrows and loved the irregular bumps on the right side of his snout and how her heart and the trails leading away from them mirrored his own. The depth of both of their feelings caused Mordecai to drown in the memory. He watched as they both exposed their vulnerabilities for her last night on the ground. They watched the stars as they wallowed in the uncertainty of their futures and sprinted away from the terrifying certainties that she would be gone and she would be forgotten. Mordecai blinked. You should go, Mordecai said. Go where? Rigby looked confused. Her snout curled to the side. To space. Rigby laughed. Her laughter turned uncomfortable as she realized he was serious. I could never. I could anchor you. Her face wrinkles deepened as she denied that she ever could. She really believed she never could, that she would stay forever. But Mordecai had planted a seed, and every time he said he would anchor her, he watered it, before finally a wilderness had sprouted in her mind and she could no longer ignore it. Mordecai remembered his willingness to go through with it. The contradiction of wanting to be selfless for someone he loved and then cursing that person when he couldn't remember her. The contradiction of the wilderness of the love and the hate coexisting with one another, neither aware of the other, of being on the ground and in the air, of being inside his body, but no longer in control of it. Mordecai blinked. Rigby looked through Mordecai's eyes at Mordecai's face reflected in the water before them, the eyebrows and snout just as she remembered them, perhaps a little more wrinkled, but still so familiar to her. She took a deep breath with his lungs. He was in here. She couldn't get to him, though. That would have to wait. She stood and wiped at the end of his snout. All right, Mordecai, she said to herself and him. I'm going to get you out of there, or me out of here. Look, I don't know how this works, but I'm going to fix it. But first, first I have to do something else. I hope you don't mind if I use your body for a little bit longer. But I've got an alien to kill. The end. For now. Characters confused. Sorry. No, I had to check it when I started doing my notes. <laughs> so starting out, I thought we were talking about like real water. So I was. Oh, you don't even want to go for the initial fake out of you. We both thought this was going to be a Michonne story. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I kind of figured you were going to take a left turn to avoid doing a Michonne story. So I was excited for what you were going to do. No, I wanted to do a Michonne story, but I I was trying to stay in the sequel zone. And I was yeah. like, so it's got to be something early Michonne days. And then I was like, could I do like he's dying and here's some flashbacks and hit some, <laughs> hit some highlights of his life. And I would just define most of Michonne. But uh, I don't know. I couldn't quite figure it out. And then I re-listened to your story to get some inspiration. I went, there's some other characters here <laughs> that I can sequel on. No, I think that was a really good direction to go. I was kind of worried because I just kind of killed off all those characters. Yeah. That, but at the same there's time. There's the rub. Yeah. I mean, not really now. So very nice. Very nice. I appreciated the sheer amount of snout descriptions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember we talked about that a little bit during the editing phase. Yeah, because I I read Snout and took that detail and then started writing it as Trunk. I was like, <laughs> why did I do that? It kind of works out the same. A, a snouty Trunk, a Trunky Snout. Yeah. More opposable, can do things with it. So just to make sure I got this right. So there's people on the Tonks planet. And they're anchors. Are they anchors for lots of people or just for one person at a time? I think it's one person each. Okay. So if they stay on the planet. Yeah. Part of that is by necessity, there won't be a whole lot of Tonks out in the universe flying around. Yeah. Just because they need a secondary resource to even leave. So what happens if they make it to the temple? Do they just go into like a general memory or? Yeah, there's like a way to like kind of purge purge it out of you like the the temple can remove the like the dead memories basically because you're like uh, if you're on the planet you're kind of nourishing them through networking kind of deal and then when your body dies you go to where i think maybe on the planet it's kind of you might get absorbed back into the ground or something since that's how they get through their nourishment but uh you make a stop if you're networked you make a stop and then you're inside a body that's not dead so it doesn't automatically get, you know, recycled into their like life force energy thing. I didn't think about it too much because it's kind of just vague there. But uh yeah. I imagine like a big, big blue soul fire well or something in the middle of the temple that's all the life force of the planet. I don't know. But <laughs> you you can go there and have like that that dead person's memories removed from you so that they don't they aren't a part of you. Okay. Because okay. as we see, the, the body can't really handle having two people in there. Right. Although some people uh, in the story mentioned some people kind of embrace that way of life. Although I'm sure the temple yeah. calls them abominations. <laughs> right. The dead should be dead. I guess it is sort of a cyber necromancy almost. Yeah, it's kind of like, a, like the whole world is kind of like a cyber naturalist society kind of thing that's kind of cool they've got like technology stuff but uh i mean by necessity they don't have paved roads they just walk on the dirt yeah and there's like some sort of network in the air or in the planet or something because they're naturally gifted with network yeah so i don't know if that's like a a planet-wide wi-fi type thing or i didn't really go into that a whole lot but that'd be kind of interesting maybe out in space they help create the intergalactic networks Mm -hmm. so maybe that's why they're so highly valued off the planet yeah and why they have a back door to transmit a whole person back yeah i could see a lot of doctor who episodes with like 
this soul has stopped in transmission and you're stuck here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Mordecai and Rigby seem pretty close. <laughs> Do they have a defined relationship? Were they just friends? Uh, More lovers? I would say it's a regular family? relationship. Okay. Regular. Almost a showy relationship. Like a regular show relationship. Yeah. I think they seem to be at least in love. Right. I didn't venture too far into it because I was making a whole whole alien planet race thing here. And uh, I don't know what if they're their relationships look the same as ours i didn't think too much about that originally it was going to be they weren't lovers but the the scene i have in there now makes it seem like they are gotcha they at least care very greatly about one another i guess you really wouldn't want to have one person be an anchor for multiple people i mean a if oh yeah two people got in at the same time or just some stranger can take your body. Yeah. I mean, there's the added risk of... I didn't even think about this while I was writing, but if you're out there in space, if your anchor dies, you're just going to drop dead wherever you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because then you'd want to have, like, an anchor service of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, that just seems like it's got a lot of stuff, like, a lot more complications with it. Yeah. Uh, so what's Rigby's next move, then? Revenge. Yeah that cold refrigerated revenge i'll just go into hunt down uh michonne thanks now whether they've already made it back to michonne in in the timeline or if they're going to be disappointed because they can no longer kill michonne <laughs> uh i i do not know i don't know if they were from uh one of one of michonne's villains when he was a hero or not space travel maybe takes a while yeah and there's a bunch of uh stuff in play that they have to figure out they have to they don't automatically know it's michonne so they have to do some tracking there is a a brief moment where uh this story might have been three stories um <laughs> a three-parter to a sequel that's a three-parter but uh i was trying to plan out what the next one would be the the second one would have been you know trying to track down who who was in that ship or something and maybe the third one would be confrontation. Okay. Originally, the the very first ideas for this story was that the confrontation would take place in the story. As I was creating more of this alien society, I went, "This is this is uh this is gonna take up a, a lot of space to explain what's going on here." <laughs> right. I guess I can't have the revenge happen in this story. I gotta explain how that's even possible. <laughs> I had fun with it. It, it, it. it makes me glad we're doing this the way we're doing this, because I don't know if in a regular superhero story writing thing, I would think to make a whole alien race for one of my stories yeah. <laughs> based on a few descriptions in your story. <laughs> they got a snout and they're a hacker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they died. Now you made a lot of stuff I wouldn't have come up with just from where I'm sitting on that, yeah. like on that alien race even. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on your story? Um, Mordecai and Rigby. Yeah. The name. From a regular show. <laughs> yeah. I st- I st- you had already named the character Rigby. And I went, I need an anchor. Oh, it's got to be Mordecai, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I was like, it's stealing a name pairing. But uh, the, the, that's happened before in that like names are names. Are names. Like yeah. uh, Biggs and Wedge in Final Fantasy games. Oh, yeah. Stolen from Star Wars. And I mean, it's kind of more of a, yeah, like a, a, a side reference then. Yeah, it's like a reference slash homage. 
more than stealing yeah, the characters. Now, one's a bird and one's a raccoon. Oh, yeah, I didn't say that. And in they the work story. at a park. Yeah, they did work at a park before uh, Rigby just got out of there. <laughs> oh, my God. Markai and Rigby went to space, too. <laughs> you got any more questions? I feel like this one was mainly me just talking about my space boner. My sci-fi world creation. Oh, no, it's good. Joy. Uh, I did have some thoughts back and forth as I was reading through. So I was like, is this all inside of a Matrix kind of computer? Mm. This is all like the net <laughs> that they're on running to a temple. But the, the way you connected it with a planet was really cool. So have we cut to your story yet? Should we do that? Yeah, it's cut to my story. All right. Bison and Wisp, Issue 6, Upshot, by Daniel J. Poole. Wisp, what are you doing with that old thing? Bison asked. She was half-dressed in her bodysuit and mask. Her horns caught the fluorescent lights, framing her face with a yellow glow. I stammered to answer, holding my neon tracksuit. It was the standard-issue Citadel Academy uniform of new graduate. I said, I haven't gotten a new one yet. It's not a big deal. Bison shook her head. She said, That simply won't do anymore. Not for my partner. Look, I got you a little something. She reached into her locker and pulled out a silver case. She handed it to me. Opening it, I paused. Inside was a dark purple suit with silver accents. It was modest yet functional. I pulled it out and let it unfold to show the full suit. I said, What's the function of the skirt if the jumpsuit is one piece? Bison raised an eyebrow at me and said, Because you like that frilly crap. I squeed. I do! It's perfect. Thank you. You didn't have to. She grinned. I really wanted to. Besides, I, uh, owed you a present. Happy birthday! I twirled while holding it up like a model. We both laughed, laying out the suit across the bench. I admired it for one more moment before getting into it. The fabric was heavier than a school-issued suit. It had a metal mesh texture, but it was soft on the inside. Once I stepped into the suit and pulled it up over my shoulders, it felt heavier and tighter than my old one. When I finished clasping the suit closed and had the boots on, I looked in the mirror at myself. I didn't recognize the reflection as being me. The person in the reflection looked confident, professional. She looked like a hero, instead of a rookie or a teacher's assistant. Bison appeared at my side. She gave me an approving nod. Then she said, Looks pretty good, but it's missing something. She snapped her fingers. Reaching into her locker, she handed me a silver domino mask. That should do it. I took the mask and held it up over my face in the mirror. I said, Do I really need a mask? My identity isn't a secret. Bison said, The mask is a symbol doesn't stop people from knowing who you are, but it does tell them you are a hero. The first heroes had to hide who they were. They did the right thing, even when it was illegal. Now we have rules and policies, but the legacy of us capes continues by the same principles. I tied the mask on. It felt right. At first it seemed too confining, but soon I didn't even realize I had it on. The woman in the mirror radiated confidence now. I said, it ties the whole look together. Hey, wait, you call this capes, but you had me put on a mask. Why don't we wear capes instead? 
Bison looked grave before saying, You get a cape caught in an escalator once, and suddenly that tradition seems much less practical. Besides, they get bunched up on the catapult. I felt ill at the mention of the device. I stated, Which sounds like a great reason not to use it. Maybe we should get capes. She took me by the hand and led me to the launcher. The platform was a rectangle with harnesses facing toward the open night sky. I paused at the entrance, took a deep breath, and crossed the threshold. We strapped in. Turning to my partner, I said, Is this really the best way to get into the field? Couldn't we just get a car or walk to crime scenes? Bison winked and said, I mean, we could, but this is way more fun. The big woman slapped the release button. Magnetic propulsion launched us forward. Light strobed in the barrel of the railgun till suddenly stopping. Our harnesses split open, shooting us high into the air. Bison laughed wildly while I corrected my tilt with controlled bursts of plasma from my hands and feet. We sailed over Citadel City. Neon lights from the entertainment district lit up clouds of fog rolling in off the lakes. Base thumped off the walls of the ringed city up to us flying overhead. We began to lose altitude and fall to the ground at the outer wall of the city. A tightly packed section of warehouses bunched up by gate 7. Bison held her hands out in front of herself. The big woman hit the ground and performed a roll. She gracefully leaped at the last moment into a fighting stance. I, on the other hand, held my hands out at my sides. I ignited plasma bolts like reverse thrusters. I came to a slow, bright stop before collapsing on the ground, breathing fast. Bison asked, You good? I held up a thumb. We collected ourselves and made our way to the assignment. Bison tried her best to be stealthy. She made sure to stay on her toes, keep to the shadows, and avoided street debris. I shuffled behind her, holding my stomach. I was turning green around the collar. I was so distracted I walked right into Bison's back. What? I asked. Bison pointed to a beat-up station wagon parked in an alleyway. It had a novelty license plate that read, LDY Star LUC. I growled, my whole body energized with white-hot heat. Bison took a step back from me. She said, Think that's our villain's getaway car? I huffed before saying, What it is, is paperwork. That's Havoc Station Wagon. Bison added, And I'd wager those legacies, Aster, Thorn, and Sparkplug are here too. Scooby-dooing it up. At that moment, there was a loud banging sound from inside the warehouse. We dove into an alley. Flying up to an open window, I peered inside for a moment before gasping. The warehouse was packed with tanks of liquid. In the middle, there was an island of bright lights and scientific equipment. It was something out of a horror movie. I landed. Without a word to Bison, I took out my Citadel com communicator. Without a word to Bison, I took out my Citadel communicator, and I said, Command, we found the lab. District 7. The dispatcher acknowledged me. There was a pause before they said, Clear the area. We'll level the site remotely. Bison grabbed the communicator and held down the bu talk button. Bison grabbed the communicator and held down the talk button. She said, Hold up. We have some, uh, civilians in the area. There was another pause before the dispatcher said, Understood. Clear the civilians out. Sidus is on his way. This is his site now. There was another pause before the dispatcher said, Understood. Clear the civilians out. King Sidus is on his way. That is his site now. 
The communicator went silent, placed it back into my utility belt. Bison's eyes were wide as she calculated. She whispered, Cytus? I said, Why is the Centauri King working a case in Citadel? Bison mouthed, The hell? A million thoughts ran through my head. I tried to figure out what international superhero laws this would break. Having a non-citizen, non-citadel vigilante working within the city limits would overstep several Earth Centauri treaties. I said, you ever heard of something like this? Bison shook her head. She said, this is bad. If the king is coming here himself, this has to be a Centauri crime. Or, or what? I asked. Or, Bison continued, this mission is off the books. I found a side door. The jam had roots growing through the hinge. A broken lock with a flower blooming out of the keyhole hung from the latch. We opened it slowly before slipping inside the building. Then we pulled the door back in place as quietly as we could. Inside, there was a constant hum of machinery. The warehouse was hot and steamy like a sauna. It smelled like rotten meat and motor oil. Baths of bubbling liquid lined the walls and were arranged in lines through the building. Bison pinched her nose. She said, What are these things? I shrugged. I made a small, stable fire at my fingertips and held it up to a vat. The light illuminated the murky water only a few inches into the tank. We leaned closer to the glass. A hand smacked against the side. It pawed at the light. Both of us jumped back in fear. We stepped away till we were against another vat. A thumping sound made us spin around. That vat had a face pressed against it. The face looked exactly like Minotaur. Her eyes darted from Bison to me. This Minotaur looked angry, or more angry than normal. It looked like she wanted to scream, but a tube was taped over her mouth. She began throwing her head against the glass. The water in the tank sloshed out onto the semen. I brought the communicator to my mouth. Without taking my eyes off the creature, I pressed the button and said, Command? This is Ditchbatch. Over. I asked, Do you have eyes on Minotaur? Over. There was a pause. Then they replied, She's sitting right here at Central. Why? Over. We shared a glance. It felt like a trap door had opened under my stomach. I was afraid I'd have to sit for a moment, whether that was my commander in that tank or not. If someone could make a replica so lifelike, what else could they do? Could they replace people with them? How would you know the difference? I started to say something else when we heard more laughter coming from the center of the warehouse. So, said the source of the laughter, this is the legacy my greatest enemies could leave behind. Pathetic. Bison and I gave each other a knowing glance. We crept around the organized path of tanks towards the voice. More bodies pressed against the glass walls of the tanks. We saw creatures that looked like our friends, enemies, and strangers. Bison came to a complete stop in front of one tank. The water was still, unlike the others. Something held her back. She turned to look. In the dank water, Echo stared at her. She was still. Her eyes swollen with something she couldn't say. Bison started to punch the glass but stopped short. She cursed and gave a reassuring nod instead. She pressed her hand to the cold glass. Echo's hand pressed against the other side. 
I put a hand on her shoulder and glanced toward the source of the voice. Bison closed her eyes, swallowed, and continued on. The three of you, said the robotic voice, are but poor copies of the greatness that made you. To me, an ultimate life form. You are like insects. I have a vision of the world, a perfect vision, that will make flesh. I have a vision for the world, a perfect vision, that I will make flesh, so to speak. I peered around the corner. Three steel operating tables were set up in a makeshift laboratory. Strapped to the tables were Aster, Havoc, and Thorn. Massive humming machinery under the tables glowed each time they struggled against their bonds. Pacing around them was a muscular, hooded figure with a deep blue-purple skin. Each dip they took reverberated through the warehouse with a gravity far beyond their size. Bison ducked behind some of the vats as the figure turned the corner around the tables and walked in our direction. She pressed against the glass. She could hear something slosh behind her. She tentatively peered over her shoulder. Her eye stared back at her. She caught a gasp in her throat and pushed it back. I felt queasy again, like flying on a catapult. I thought, if they could copy us so perfectly, how do I know I'm with the real bison? For all I know, I'm in one of these tanks. I snapped out of the thought process when the hooded figure said, Your presence is upsetting my specimens. You hear them clamor in their incubators. I will birth a new world, a better world, a perfect world. I want to see what the world could be if it was ran in harmony. The voice began to move away from her hiding place. Bison flipped herself off. I peeked around the corner. I made the hand sign for ready and waited for a reply. Bison sent back hold and held up three fingers, then pinched her pinky while looking around the lab. I counted tables again and made the facial expression for, Are you kidding me right now? Sparkplug was missing from their group. The four of them had been inseparable for the last few weeks. The hooded figure stopped in front of Aster. He said, You, of course, are different from your companions. He walked around the table and placed his massive hands on either side of her head. She pulled from his touch. You aren't just the physical perfection of the Centauri. No, you're the peak of humanity as well, aren't you? A specimen like you will truly advance my creations. What if, instead of fighting me, you joined me? You're a warrior, like your people. Here in the Citadel you are just a dog for their wars. Join me and I could make you stronger still. I started to jump in when the sound of engines roared to life. From the shadows, a suit of beaten up armor walked into the examination lights. Sparkplug's voice boomed out of the suit. Hey, motor mouth, put a sock in it. The armor slid across the floor in a shower of sparks and fire. A heavy fist connected with the hooded figure's head forcing the blow through their hood back. The amazing Richard smirked. He said, Not bad for a human. He reached out and took Sparkplug's face in his hand. Squeezing, her helmet began to compact under his fingers. 
She flexed her arm, and a blade swung out from her gauntlet. With a precise strike, she cut the prisoners free. Aster, Havoc, and Thorn collected themselves. They rubbed at their wrists and arms. All three looked drained. The amazing Richard let out a hoarse metallic laugh. Ho 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 ho! They said, You think a weakling like you could defeat me? He closed his fist around Sparkplug's head. It crushed into a ball of metal. The armor fell from his hand into a limp pile of junk. Bison gasped. I rushed to her side. The suit said, Too easy. It exploded, throwing the amazing Richard, Bison, and myself back. The surrounding tanks broke, flooding the area. Quivering bodies spilled onto the ground. Each was still attached to their incubators. I stumbled to my feet. The room swirled around me like a carnival ride. A distinct ringing bled over every other sound in the room. I was uneasy on my feet. Looking at my suit, there wasn't a scratch. I started to run toward the amazing Richard with charged plasma fist. A hand caught my shoulder. Out of the shadows, Sparkplug said, There's no time! The two of us helped Bison to her feet. We joined Aster, Havoc, and Thorn. From behind us, we heard the grinding of metal on metal. The amazing Richard was sitting up. He turned to face us. Half of his face was gone. He watched us with a single glowing eye. As he began to stand, we could see his exposed circuitry begin to self-repair. Wires looped together, forming muscle. Liquid metal and plastic oozed from the wound, forming bones and dark, bluish-purple skin. He said, Going so soon? Sparkplug said, Come on, we need to get out of here. The six of us ran through the corridors of bats. We could see the specimens hammering against the glass. Waves lapped at the edges of the tank and sloshed water onto the concrete floor. Behind us, we could hear heavy footfalls pounding against the ground, chasing us. We poured out of the exit into the alley. Esther held the door in place while Thorn grew more vines to secure it. There was a moment of silence before two blue-purple arms broke through the doors, grasping at her. Everyone piled in the Havoc station wagon. He adjusted the mirrors and started the engine. Is everyone buckled in? He asked. Behind the car, the door blew off its hinges into a cloud of dust. Everyone cried out, Just, Just drive! Aster and Thorn didn't make eye contact with me. The Centauri asked, Does this mean we're expelled? I huffed and said, It means Saturday school. Her eyes brightened. I continued, with your new tutor, Miss Steele. All four of the teens relaxed and let out a breath. Sparkplug said, That's fair. Behind us, another blast shook the ground. Flames erupted from the warehouse, lighting the night sky. King Sidus flew into and out of the warehouse as a dark streak. Astro sunk lower into her seat. I wondered if any of the specimens would survive. I couldn't shake the vision of bison underwater in that tank. It looked so much like her. How did the Amazing Richard even get her DNA? Is there a tank with me inside? Were they clones? Or could I be the clone? Would I know if I were? I was so absorbed in these thoughts. I didn't realize Bison had leaned forward from the back seat over my shoulder. She said, Well, the upshot here is you wanted a patrol car with... We laughed. The end. For now.
Daniel. Yes. You actually remembered it was Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Not at first. I started the story in a completely different place, and I'm glad I made it to Spooky Story set. Yeah, you got some spooky setting for your story. Sort of a a mad scientist, Frankenstein-ish, like setting, not necessarily. Yeah, it's not like a scary story, but there's like some spooky atmosphere. I did forget to mention that your story featured a ghost prominently, so I think it's it's on theme oh yeah we nailed it halloween we did it (laughs) we probably should have made a halloween prompt instead of doing this (laughs) follow-up jazz we got ghosts and monsters we did good okay (laughs) but uh yeah it's got a spooky monster vat situation going on so where i want to start is the title of your story yeah upshot did you draw inspiration from the new york times political coverage known as the upshot no because i didn't know that was a thing (laughs) it's just the name of their like election analysis type stuff oh i just googled it that yeah that's it yep i don't really follow it i just hear it mentioned on other political like stuff i follow they're like well on the upshot blah 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 so it's not related to the politics stuff because no your story really should have been about hey everyone go vote in the midterms oh freaking vote i don't care for who just vote. i care for who well yeah <laughs> yeah what are we on we said it was spooky oh i think we were talking about the title yeah i think we finished that uh i thought we just started sure surely i just uh, it was just that it was the upshot oh yeah so i think we got on political tangent originally the title go vote (laughs) that was the last thing we said before we got way off yeah no i hadn't even gotten to the meaning of the title all right then we uh then we spent an hour talking about politics and daniel turned into a robot yeah next question internet (laughs) uh the title was about the original story that was coming up and i still want to tell that story so i don't want to go through the whole thing but it had a very different meaning and then i went in a totally different direction and that title now I just like. <laughs> I may try to... No, I don't know if I can uh, spin that anyway. It's just a good title, I think, now. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wisp got a new do. Yeah. Finally got that costume she's been talking about for one episode. I'm sure <laughs> if you were reading all the issues, it'd be more meaningful. But yeah, yeah. Bison got her a new look. Yeah. Do you think there's any bat superheroes in in there? <laughs> So we could have vats of bats? There was a vat of bats. I didn't mention it in the store because it didn't come up. But it's it's on a mat, and it's covered by a hat. And there's technically a well, cat. A hat, that's weird. Yeah, it's a, mm. it's a whole look for that vat. That vat of bats with the cat on, and a hat and a mat. The bat vat on the mat. They're lactose intolerant. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, wh- What up with the king do? Yeah, king Sidus. Aster's dad. Yeah. He pops down and gets into a fight with the Amazing Richard. What? What's up with that? Oh. What's he doing in Citadel? He's not a Citadel person. Well, a king does what a king do wherever the king is. It's good to be the king. <laughs> That's my king impression. Uh-huh. Stephen King. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, Stephen King. He's really good in uh, bluegrass music, right? Yeah. Rock and roll. Steve King, the the congressman. Oh, yeah. From Iowa. It's weird that he wears those karate jumpsuits to Congress. But yeah, I don't don't know. The king's 
They're on a weird secret mission. Yeah. Not gonna tell us. Okay, okay. I was trying to get it out of you. Oh. I listeners am I on the same page as you as I have no idea what's going on. He won't tell me. It's... And I'm supposed to know because I'm supposed to write the sequel to this sequel. What? Are you? No. Oh. I was gonna say because <laughs> I did not I... need to write a sequel to your sequel. Yeah, you gotta write Rigby too. Ooh. No, it's Rigby three now? No. Uh Michonne's story was Rigby Zero. Ah, okay. Rigby begins. So, about these vats, though. Yeah. You have the amazing Richard in here. Yeah. And we know he's making robot people. He made a he made a robot himself. Yeah. And he made the moon robots. Yeah. And now he has vats of people? Robots? What is all this about? Who knows? And we saw some characters we recognize in there. Yeah. We saw Minotaur mm-hmm. and Echo. And Bison was in two places at once. Yeah. So So what's that about? <laughs> I mean, we got the Amazing Richard who can make robots. And we see people in vats. So... And, we know, and we know that robots don't do well in water. So, <laughs> everyone that's in a vat has been replaced by a robot. I don't know. If they can put an iPhone underwater, they might be able to figure out how to put a robot underwater. They could put an iPhone underwater? You just put it in I'm a plastic Googling. baggie. iPhone, oh. They're not in plastic baggies, though. They got they got phone cases that can go underwater. I thought you were saying, like, the newest iPhone. They just, like, went up on stage at the <laughs> keynote, had a cup of water up there, and Tim Cook just dunked it. You can now... Put your phone underwater and answer a call. Welcome to the future. <laughs> we call this one the iPhone X water. The <laughs> iPhone times water equals NBD. The Samsung Galaxy S9 supposedly can go underwater without a special case. What kind of depths are we talking? Can it withstand, you know greater pressures can it get those deep 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 picks i think it's talking like you could drop it in a puddle and grab it out real quick and it may not be lost (laughs) galaxy s9 milk dunk test (laughs) and also apparently the iphone 10 oh yeah yeah it went down underwater the iphone 10 can supposedly stand 30 minutes underwater but in stable water i'm guessing still oh yeah so it'll survive a toilet. That's the main culprit. Oh, man. I wear pocket shirts, like button-down pocket shirts every day for work. Mm, that's a mistake. My phone has almost gotten in the toilet, like, so many times. So, yeah, we got uh, something in vats. Yeah. Robots, people. I mean... No one seems to... Amazing Richard probably knows. He's not telling. He's monologuing. Yeah. So... Yeah. Tell us what you think, listeners. Yeah. Tweet us with the hashtag double issue. Also hashtag, they be robots? <laughs> get that question mark in there, or you don't get the right inflection, and it's just, they be robots. Well, I guess that's the way you can vote. You can say, they be robots? They be robots? Or, they know be robot. Those are your three choices. They know be robots? Thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs in the side. Like, I don't know what's going on. Who are Who's the amazing Richard? In that case, just go back some episodes, listen to that one. It's a lovely episode with Matt. Yeah. And we're doing a second one with Matt? Yeah, sometime soon. Yeah. Are we done with your story? Did I have any more? Did you have any more? <laughs> we had like We've an hour long. We've been so many off tangents. Political discussions, so. Yeah, and we, we decided might... what 
we decided collectively what one Blu-ray Ultra HD movie I will buy. Green Lantern. It's it. It's the one. It's the best superhero movie of all time. Did, did it in one. What? Avatar The Last Airbender on Blu-ray, the complete series, is only 30 books? Oh, that's good. Check what um, The Legend of Korra runs per season, because I think it's like 30 bucks a season. Nope. Legend of Korra, Blu-ray, 30 bucks, whole series. What? Oh, I still haven't seen the last season of that. I need to watch it. There you go. Now I wish I could get Samurai Jack. I think it's got less episodes than either of those. $90. (laughs) Oh, no good. Are we wrapping up? What's going on? Yeah, let's let's do those credits. You're good. But yeah, that was my story. Yeah. People and fats. And some spooky lore happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You uh, got any recommendations this week? gonna be on the show soon but uh matt has been matt the one that joined us for the amazing richard episode he's been streaming a lot on his cartridge blowers channel on twitch and he's doing this series called snes in excess and he's gonna try to play all the snes games oh and i've just been tuning in randomly and enjoying the the chat it's been fun to watch old games some from childhood some i've never seen before and watch him try to conquer each one although it's not like a straight up conquering he does use uh like different cheats and uh save states and stuff just to like get through an annoying game it's just to have played each game not to have fully mastered and beaten each game oh that seems much more yeah it's not it's not the uh not the obsessive level of it Go check that out. Uh, Cartridge Blowers is the name of the channel. I think he's been uploading them to YouTube recently as well. I remember that I have a recommendation for a Kickstarter called The Spectaculars. I don't know as much about this group. It's Sketchpad Publishing, so I don't know about their past projects. But it just sounded really cool. It's a tabletop role-playing game where you create your own comic book universe, much like the show. Oh. Yeah. So I'm thinking about backing it so that maybe we can play... A double issue version of it. Yeah, that's cool. It's like what we do for the normal people that don't want to make a whole <laughs> podcast about this. Yeah, it's what healthy people do. Cool, cool. But uh, yeah, our show art is by Lisa Prather. Check her out on her website, lisapratherart.com or on her Instagram. The intro song is Free Harmonics by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Uh, we used it under its Creative Commons license, and it's shortened to be our intro, and you can check it out on the links or freemusicarchive.com. That's right. Remember, you've got no more time by the time this episode comes out to send in stuff for the contest. Never mind. Yeah, if this comes out at the beginning of the day and you are almost done with your story, get that finished, get that in. <laughs> the deadline is today, October 31st, whatever right. time zone you're in. So it might extend until we wake up on November 1st, I guess. So a few more hours if you've got something brewing. Hacksaw those submissions through the ether webs to doubleissueshow at gmail.com. Can you repeat that without the the gross bit at the beginning or (laughs) (laughs) surf Um, the net dude down to double issue showed at gmail.com i surf using only a surfboard comprised of dvd boxes of the net the 1995 (laughs) sandra bullock for more of my hilarity follow me on twitter at guare g-y-w-a-i-r on twitter yeah and if you want to see my cool surfing on the dude web 
You can follow me at Quim Pongrats on the Tweet Master Machine, aka Twitter. All right, so bye. Bye. Happy Halloween. Oh yeah, happy Halloween today. Um, this episode's in the costume of a goat. Is this it, episode's dressed up like a goat. Is it like a spooky goat? I don't know. Maybe like some ASCII art in the episode description of a goat. Oh, uh, okay. That's it. Sounds good. So enjoy your Halloween. Dress up yeah. like a double issue character. <laughs> <laughs> Dress up like Wisp. You've got time. Yeah, you've got time to make your new costume. Just unveiled today. Sorry to drop that all you. Hello and welcome to the part of the episode where I read you some song titles and artists. Here we go. Slow Moving Waves by Rest You Sleeping Giant. Lovely Things Beneath the Ocean by, here we go, this one's a journey, Bisou de la Font Sauvage is what I could gleam from Google. It's actually French for Kiss of the Wild Child. It's pretty neat. Crispy Roses by J1. Chiado by Jazzar, another one that's a journey. A Really Dark Alley by Loyalty Freak Music. Ghost Surf Rock by Loyalty Freak Music. All those songs are used under their Creative Commons licenses, and you can find them in the links in the show notes or by going to freemusicarchive.org, and you can find all those by searching those. As for sound effects, we got Supernatural Explosion by Quaker 540, Afterburner by Tyze Weichnan, Metal Crash Collision by <laughs> Kuboed Up. Okay. 130723 Brella Cavity Wave 4824 by Blockrose. Splashes in a Bathtub by B Broker. Splash Request by Hello Flowers. And all of those sound effects you can find on freesound.org or follow the links in the show notes once again. All right, uh, they got uh, that ending thing for you. Bye. These people are really just yelling outside. Oh. Let me make sure there's not, like, something weird happening. It's, like, very excited yelling. BRB. Okay. Daniel, there's, like, a fight. I can't hear you. I don't have my headphones on. I just wanted to say that. Fight, 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 fight. Okay, I think it dissipated. Oh, I was hoping for a, a bigger report. Uh, I, went, just like... I went out to my living room to look out a bigger window. <laughs> Closer to the action. I was kind of trying to see if there was anything I should, like, I don't know, call someone about. I don't know what to do in that situation. But anyway, then I locked my door to keep the fight refugees out. If anyone was going to be fleeing from that, I didn't want them to come into my country, a.k.a. But my apartment. Quentin, they need you need us. They have space to hang out for just a little bit. No matter how much they're bleeding. Nope. I earned this <laughs> by being born in this part. Okay, the analogy breaks down. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs>